You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Monster House presents... It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Hey there. What follows is an audio version of an interview originally recorded as part of our Monster Talk Live streaming series that Karen and I hosted during 2020. As of this posting, we're not currently doing those live shows, but they are archived on YouTube. You can check the show notes for a link to this particular episode. And the live format's definitely something we're going to try to get back to in the future. These episodes do not get the normal editing treatment of a traditional monster talk, and because of the variety of issues that happen during live recordings, the audio quality may be wildly varied, and you should assume there will be some not-safe-for-work content, so I'm posting all these as explicit just in case. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Monster Talk. Your contributions at patreon.com forward slash monster talk and your positive reviews on the podcasting platforms and applications that you use to listen Help us reach new listeners and spread the important message that monsters can be a great tool to learn critical thinking. We need critical thinking now more than ever. Monster Talk is hosted by me, Blake Smith, and my co-host, Dr. Karen Stolzno. If you enjoy this show, please check out our deep catalog of fascinating interviews with experts about psychology, sociology, anthropology, folklore, religion, and more. Monster Talk. Oh my gosh. Okay, so uh monster talk live you can support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash monster talk uh i'm blake smith (laughs) yeah i'm karen stolzner and we have a guest oh yes a recurring guest (laughs) what it seems that way i I hope we come back uh every every week now (laughs) to to, like drink uh spindrift and uh Talk. Well, welcome, welcome, <laughs> Alison Jolman. We had you on the show. Uh, how long ago was it? Now, uh, I a think uh, years ago. It was two years ago. Yeah, 
about the Chicago Mothman story, yes. which is still uh, ongoing. Yes. Which is the so deep the dish honest... of Mothman, right? So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the deep dish of Mothman debacle. Yes. Hey, you know, we probably won't be able to do, because we, we've had to change platforms to get things going tonight. Um, thanks a lot, Zoom, YouTube integration. Um, <laughs> so we won't be able to probably do our screen sharing tonight, but we do yeah, have... But we, we can probably put some stuff in the show notes later uh, to go along with this because you've got a really nice presentation. Well, you want to tell us a little bit about how this presentation came to be? Yeah. So, um, well, I'm Allison Jornlin. I'm a paranormal yes. investigator. <laughs> and I um, have been in the field for about 20 years now. And I just wondered about women in the paranormal about the history of women in the paranormal and i because when you watch paranormal tv you don't don't really see uh much of that you see zach baggins or you know you see someone else with a lot of machismo uh and and i wondered is is that the way a paranormal investigation has always been and i you know, I, for a long time, um, have revered Charles Fort. Uh, and if you don't know who that is, uh, that's, uh, he was a 20th century writer and researcher. He spent a lot of time in the New York Public Library uh, researching anomalies. So he, you know, it wasn't like today where we have all of all of this spectacular technology and, you know, you can, you can research from your home, you know, he actually had to go to the library and go through the papers. And, you know, I, I assume he had microfilm, but that's about it. And so he went through journals and all types of periodicals, uh, combing through them to find anomalies and then wrote four extraordinary books. And he's known as uh, the man who invented the supernatural. There's actually a book of that title. You know, uh, does that, you know, one of his books is called Low. Which I oh, guess yeah. makes him like the original low rider. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> the puns are starting early. So um, Jim Steinmeier wrote this uh, biography of him, and it, it's uh, called Charles Fort, the man who invented the supernatural. So if he's the father of the paranormal, I wondered like who was the mother of the paranormal, mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. we can talk about that in a bit. But uh, so I want to address before we get started because i know that uh some of my friends out there and some of my frenemies out there might be wondering why am i on a skeptical podcast allison why again, are you again. talking to our enemies and i i guess i just don't see it that way i Aww. think that it's okay <laughs> for people to have uh different points of view i mean that might be uh, a way out concept. Oh, really? Well, Please actually, it's no, <laughs> not okay to have your own point of view. So I think this is how we learn. We talk with each other. Um, we learn about each other's positions. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's what makes the world go around. I mean, that's, that, uh, that's where advances come from, is being able to talk to people of, of different viewpoints. So cool. that's why I'm here. I'm not here because 
and this is to my detractors. I'm not here because I want to become a professional skeptic. No, that is. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still a weirdo. Um, not that you guys aren't weird. I mean, we've got a lot of common ground where we're interested yeah. in, in, in the same things and right. uh, you guys love absolutely and yeah, skeptics yeah. pride yeah. themselves on being open-minded so uh you know uh, not all skeptics are but uh i mean this is the second time we've had you on the show and we've got a lot of similar interests and this is yeah. certainly an interesting topic because it's something that is just not uh talked about by skeptics i think once this comes out suddenly there'll not be by a, the a guys of... sorry <laughs> so not by the guys <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a... It's a sausage fest. That's true. <laughs> but I think it's it's great that we are able to talk and disagree in a civil manner. And I think yeah. that that's a, that's a I good example. Agree the, we agree yeah. for the most part. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, I I I think so too. And I think there's more common commonality than there is separation. And uh, I've loved your show for years just because, you know, it was always fun to to listen to different perspectives. And then every once in a while, you'd have a guest on that would would uh, drop something on you like, well, I think a rank pendic is real. (laughs) And I'd be like, oh my God, something really monumental happened on on, uh, Monster Talk. But, you know, right at, at that point, you weren't on video, so we couldn't hear, we couldn't see like the place had explode on our faces. Yes, well, yes, right. <laughs> we, we don't. I, 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 I grew up in a very sarcastic family, so uh, it, did you? you? Know, <laughs> did I? I don't know. So no, but there's a lot of eye rolling in my family, so um, you don't see that on the podcast. And I try not to I, do I it in real life. But, you. but uh, you know, <laughs> it's just like. I don't know if it's coming through on the video, but my sisters, man, they can roll their eyes. And yeah, yeah, we're very sarcastic. But 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 you're right. No, having common ground, we all, as you say, we have the same interests, regardless whether we mm-hmm. believe the same things. But but I think even uh, with a few exceptions, most people want to have evidence. I mean, most people want to see things actually proven. Yeah. And and we That's both, what we're both seeking. Yeah, and we both, I think, I mean, it's been really hard to come to that point where you have to say, well, sometimes we don't know, you know, and sometimes there is no answer. I don't need to make up an answer to fit my skeptical needs. I don't need to make one up to fit my believer needs. I just need to say sometimes, I don't know. I don't know. And yeah, skeptics should be able to say that. And Blake and I try to. And that's what I love time. about you yes. guys. We, we, we don't know a lot. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and that's really, that's really the cr- common ground that these women that I'm going to talk about tonight have. Um, you know, they wanted to believe. Um, even some, some like uh, Rose McEnberg, who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, who worked with Houdini, she wanted to believe. So, you know, a lot, lot of these women, you know, were at that point where where they were researching things that were paranormal, but, you know, and they may not have found paranormal explanations for them, but they, they were interested enough that they thought this deserves real investigation. And I think that's mm-hmm. where you guys are too. So that's and what I'm talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> and these, a lot of these women were living in times where belief was prevalent. That was the norm. Um, but I guess we should start by talking about, yeah. uh, about, <laughs> Women in the paranormal. Who yeah. are some of the, the key women in the paranormal? I guess we should go back to history and then come closer to the present. Yeah. So uh, 
I was uh, talking about the, the mother of the paranormal. Who Who is that? And I really have to give that title to Catherine Crow, who was born in 1803, died in 1876. And, you know, she was living at a time um, she was from England. She was living at a time when women could not vote. They couldn't even own property legally in England. And mm-hmm. even though she had all those barriers, uh, she uh, was able to become an independent woman. She she did uh, get married to an army officer, but something ro- went wrong with that. And uh, in about 1833, uh, she was helped by some friends to escape. And escaped to Edinburgh, Scotland, which is a great place to escape. Wait, she escaped uh, her no. marriage? So yeah. Okay, okay. She escaped her marriage and then she remade herself. She became a famous writer. And she's she is unknown right right now. But at in her time, she was very, very uh famous. And so it actually in 1841. She wrote, she would write the, the first uh, modern detective uh, story. I know that, that uh, Mantle is usually given to Edgar Allan Poe. And actually, he did write Murders at the Remorgue the same year. But uh, her book, uh, The Adventures of Susan Hopley, which is about a maidservant um, who has to solve a, a murder and clear her brother's name. Is that, is that her uh, crow magnum opus? <laughs> yes, like I'm yes. rolling. Well, well, actually, uh, her magnum opus is this. We'll talk about okay, it okay. a little bit. But um, so 1841, January of 1841, she comes out with um, this this book called um, The Adventures of Susan Hopley. And uh, Susan Hopley was, was a servant, but she was a, a female uh, protagonist who uh, became an investigator throughout the story. And this story uh, was, this novel was very, very popular uh, across Europe and then into the United States. And then later in April of that year, that's when Poe would publish his short story in in a magazine. So many think that, that maybe he was influenced uh, by her earlier novel. But so he was influenced never... by Crow before being influenced by Raven? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes he's right on an there. eye roll I, I think you you missed your calling you could be uh, a conspiracy theorist you know making all these obscure connections yeah that's probably yeah. what it is yeah. <laughs> absolutely but you, you gotta get that's it out it. Yeah. Um, so anyway um after that um she she gained like national acclaim for um her work uh, as a fiction writer, but she was widely read, even though she was English, she could, she could read uh, German and French fluently. And because of that, she decided uh, she needed to write some books about the paranormal. And she was heavily into reading uh, German researchers uh, and doctors and physiologists at the time who were into some pretty weird stuff. And she decided in 1845 that she needed to translate one of those works, uh, which was called The the Seerist of Prevorst. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But uh, it's a book by Justin S. Kerner, who is a famous German physician. And he actually had a patient 
who uh, was frequently in contact with the spirit world. He came into association with her because he was trying to restore her health. She was very sickly. But in doing that, in attending to her, he experienced so many paranormal things that he wrote a book about it. Catherine Crow read it, and she said, well, I have to make this available to English audiences. So she translated it in 1845. And then in 1848, she decided she had to uh, publish her own book, which is called The Night Side of Nature. And look how big this thing is. This is like 400 pages. Wow. And um, it, like a lot of people... Uh, kind of uh, blow this off and say, oh, it's just a bunch of ghost stories, gossip she got from her from her uh, social circle. Uh, but that's not the case. She was looking at, as I said, German theorists and French theorists, and she put a lot of uh, their information in here. And she actually was uh, the researcher who brought uh, the word poltergeist and the word doppelganger, both of those terms, into English usage. Wow. So she's not credited. I mean, no, she no, was that's the, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The first one to talk about that. And not only that, there's, uh, of course, numerous stories of apparitions in here, um, haunted houses, uh, crisis apparitions. But you also find twin telepathy and telekinesis and um, out-of-body experience, uh, near-death experience. Uh, these were things that, you know, those, those, those terms weren't even coined yet, but she was talking mm -hmm. about it in the night side of nature. What year was this? That this that was is 1848. So wow. you, you'll remember that, the, that spiritualism, the big spiritualist movement in the United States started in 1847. Now, it didn't really get underway uh, in Britain until 1848. And her book just coincided with the spiritualist movement arriving in Britain. So uh, this uh, book became a huge success and and went through um, 16 editions in just a few wow. years. Uh, it was it was tremendously uh, popular. And um, even Charles Dickens gave this book a, a glowing review. Uh, but later on, they would find themselves um, on the opposite sides of a scandal. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure exactly um, <laughs> why why this scandal happened, but I have have some ideas about it. So, mm -hmm. um, she uh, in 1854 conducted what was probably uh, the first paranormal investigation as we would know it today where she and uh, some notables like she took a, a doctor along with her she took a clairvoyant along with her uh, to this haunted house in edinburgh and so this must have been um in january of that year because the the events of the the scandal would would unfold at the end of february so around january of 1854 um, there, there was this haunted house that she took a crew to, and you know they did like a stakeout. They had the they had the clairvoyant try to contact the spirit. Uh, the the clairvoyant um, actually was touching Catherine Crow, and when she was touched by the clairvoyant, she began to sense some things that the clairvoyant was sensing. Like she saw some light phenomena these diamonds of light coming up from the floor. 
Uh, and so that was amazing that, you know, as a woman at that time that, you know, she's not like some muscly guy like Zach Baggins. What's she doing in, in the middle of a haunted house? She was 50, a 51-year-old woman, and here she is in a haunted house investigating. And that that seems extraordinary to me that she's conducting this, this first investigation. And now we, yeah. you know, many paranormal investigators follow that format that she developed. Absolutely. Uh, and and they, they never know that... Uh, they never know anything about her. Um, so then later on. In, and she probably had to do it in a corset. So, I mean, this is like. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, how could you even stay conscious in one of those things? I know. I, I can't. So. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so then later on. It. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's say no to corsets. So um, later on uh, in February of 1854. Um, she uh, was involved in a scandal and it was largely started probably by Charles Dickens, which is really sad. This is a story I thought, that I think you're meaning it was something to do with him. The two of them. <laughs> well, um, it's a story that really puts the dick in Charles Dickens. Let me just say that. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly happened. Because okay. the story is probably apocryphal, but uh, there was uh, this uh, mesmerist journal called uh, Zoist. And in the Zoist, uh, this article appeared that said Catherine Crow was seen uh, wandering the streets of Edinburgh in the nude. And so, of course, everybody's shock, 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 shock right? <laughs> and she was in the nude, apparently. And then uh, in we, Ed Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, that's right. Mm. And so <laughs> we don't know if that exactly happened, but we do know that um, in Charles Dickens' personal uh, correspondence, um, in at least two letters, he gossiped to uh, his friends calling her uh one of the quotes is uh, she was a, a medium and an ass and i don't know what else and he he said uh he said that um she had had gone out in the nude because um she was given a card like a like a uh you know a just a calling card by yeah. a spirit. And as she held it a certain way in a certain hand, she would become invisible. So that's, okay, yeah. that's this yarn. There's a lot of elaboration in his letters. And you have to ask yourself, how would he know that? And that she was afraid of things that were black and white. And it, it just, uh, there's so many details in it that it smacks of being a made up story because, yeah, yeah. um, and he, he is telling people that, um, she's in the madhouse now and probably will never get out. That's that, um, that was the content of this gossip to his friends. Now he was also, uh, very well acquainted and, uh, very um involved in the zoist in, in that mesmerist uh, publication and so one wonders how that story got in there uh mm. now what people don't realize about charles dickens is he was really really into mesmerism 
And he, and a lot of the mesmerists at the time, if you look at Zoist, were um, very worried about spiritualism because uh, before spiritualism came in, in around eight, uh, late 1848, uh, really mesmerism had the spotlight. And they found as, you know, the years had progressed that more and more mesmerists were jumping ship to become spiritualists. So okay. what Joyce tried to do in several articles is point, uh, paint spiritualists as, um, as mad men and mad women, or mm -hmm. to say that don't go over to the spiritualist side because it'll make you crazy. Right. So uh, Catherine Crow is not the only person that was targeted by that publication, but um, you can see with the popularity of the night side of nature that mm -hmm. she was kind of a poster child for everything they hated, although she loved mesmerism. Um, okay, and, and but they the, felt threatened I know, by her right? somehow. So, so that's kind so of these, hidden... these other people who were targeted. Sorry to interrupt, but the other yeah, people yeah. who were targeted were they predominantly women or no. men and women? They they were men and women. Okay, so it wasn't so, a sexist issue necessarily. It, hmm. it wasn't a sexist issue necessarily, but I think because she had become so prominent because of the night side of nature that. Uh, there there was some motivation in that uh, because later she would write about spiritualism, although the night side of nature is not about spiritualism. In fact, there's a lot of mesmerism in here. Uh, she talks about uh, possession as well as poltergeists. And she suggests um, from the researchers that she read that uh, the way to uh, cure someone who is possessed by a spirit is through mesmerism or what we know as hypnosis today. So she didn't, she was trying to go at this uh, from a scientific perspective. And that's, sure. and, and instead of, uh, you know, promoting the Roman right, she promoted, she thought was a little bit more scientific. Do which, you know, so, so this should be in the public domain now, the book, I mean. It is, it's completely it, free. Is it, so is it, there's like a Kindle version I could get? Yeah, so probably. Um, not sure about Kindle, but uh, what I do is, of course, I have the print copy, but um, because it was written in the 19th century, I like to listen to it. So I oh, downloaded yeah. the book, uh, the PDF from Project Gutenberg, and then I have mm -hmm. uh, voice um, software that reads it to me. Like oh, that's audio. nice. <laughs> and I programmed it to have a, an, a British female voice that I thought sounded oh. like Catherine Girl. Perfect. So, the 19th century. <laughs> So this, is kind of my, this is my bedtime story is the night side of nature well i'm really keen to have a look at that because i'm just wondering how much the modern stories and modern theories have been influenced by that book without us knowing right absolutely and and see that's that's what i see in it that there's so much in there that is being carried on today but we don't give any credit to to any of these older stories it's it's always good to go back to the primary text when you yeah. can that's it for sure absolutely you, you never know what you're going to find too that's always fun so yes so <laughs> so certainly uh Catherine crow was a big surprise um she has um two other books out that are on the paranormal uh they both came out in 1859 uh one is called ghost and family legends and the other is called uh spiritualism and the age we live in uh, but 
I, I still think her best work uh, in terms of its its breadth and depth has to be the night side of nature because she deals with so many different phenomena and uh, talks about their earliest beginnings. Do you know, is the uh, the Zoist magazine, is that available online or digitized somewhere? Hmm. Um, I have found, you know, different snippets of articles, but I don't think the whole thing is online. That's a really good question. Yeah. But I, I only ask because if, if, you know, it'd be really cool to like have that as well. That'd be nice to be able to get back to that primary material. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I also need to talk about the, um, SPR, the society for psychic yeah. research, because, um, this, uh, book, uh, this, uh, edition of the night side of nature, uh, is from the Colin Wilson library of the paranormal and Colin Wilson actually felt um, that he was a prominent uh, existentialist, but also wrote on the paranormal. And he actually felt that uh, Catherine Crow should have been credited by the SPR as well, because a lot of the methods that um, she laid the groundwork for, they would later perfect and, and, you know, but they, never mention her but uh, another a great researcher from the SPR was Eleanor Sedgwick and uh, she was uh, the president of the SPR twice um, 1908 and and uh, actually I think 1932 was the other one um, but uh, anyway she was a scientist and a women's rights activist and a mathematician. So uh, there's a story about about her going to visit Egypt with her family, and he, uh, she, and her um, and her brother-in-law actually spent a lot of time um, away from the sites, just doing math problems. <laughs> so they were in they were in Egypt. But they like to do math problems so much um, that that's what she that was her focus. So when she was part of the SPR, she helped them with um, a huge survey of hallucinations um, that actually became the book Phantasms of the Living. So Phantasms of the Living is about uh, crisis apparitions. You guys, you guys know what crisis apparitions are? Um, I think we know them as uh, grief hallucinations or bereavement hallucinations. I think it's probably the same thing. Yeah, term. it's similar. Um, but crisis hallucinations, the, the ones that they were looking for, um, were, uh, were apparitions of uh, someone who had been living. And it's like grandpa appears at the foot of your bed and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. grandpa, it's the middle of the night. And then he disappears. Here we go again. And yeah. then, yeah, yeah right, Grandpa. And you find out he's passed. But, right, you find out that he's passed, and mm-hmm. you take it as some kind of message. So, yeah. uh, what the SPR did is they actually uh, surveyed, um, they surveyed seventeen thousand people uh, oh. across Europe, and uh, they they received almost uh, three thousand uh, reports of crisis apparitions from those respondents. And then, you know, what she did is she helped figure out, well, well, what would be the chances of, you know, this many authentic cases, but uh, they didn't weed down the case the cases. They didn't just take all like 3000. Um, they were like, okay, were, were there um, 
were there two witnesses uh, were, uh, is it confirmed that it was within 12 hours of death? They, they did all these things to try to like uh, whittle it down and then came up with 32 solid cases that could not be explained. And then she was able to show that, um, that even though, you know, it started out with 3000, it got, gotten to 32 because they had all those uh, requirements that they wanted the case to meet before they really uh, deemed it unexplained. And uh, she, she mathematically determined that it was over uh, 400 times chance, uh, the, the amount of apparitions. Um, so she was doing her best to look at things very analytically. And mm-hmm. Actually, another another thing that she was known for is being very skeptical of spiritualist photography and being very outspoken about fraud. And she was criticized, you know, during that time, you know, for that skepticism. That's but, an important development. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah. but she said, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. They slip right by. <laughs> Sorry. I'm letting, I'm letting, I'm trying to stay focused. Yeah. Impossible. Oh, <laughs> you are insufferable. So, uh, now where was I? <laughs> so, uh, she, she was. 400 times chance. Yep. Yeah. She was criticized for her skepticism, but her point was, you know, I'm not saying that I don't believe or I don't think these things are possible. I, I think they occasionally happen, and I want to know, I want to accurately estimate how often they happen. So I have to, I have to separate the weed from the chaff. You have so, to expose the fraud. Yes, absolutely. And, and so she was the, one of the first, uh, uh, she was one of the first uh, vocal critics of that type of fraud. Uh, and so you can read Phantasms of the Living. I don't know if that's free, um, but... It's very low cost if it's not free. Um, and she also um, was a, a wonderful uh, speaker and promoter of women's rights and suffrage and, and wrote a lot on those topics as well. Very cool. And uh, crossover. Um, yeah. So you mentioned uh, Rose Mackenberg uh, a little while ago, and we've been talking a little bit about um, spiritualism too. Can you tell yeah. us about her? She's a really interesting character. Yeah, so Rose Mackenberg, she was born in 1892. She died in uh, 1968. And she was she was uh, Houdini's ghostbuster. <laughs> that's that's what I like to call her. Because the woman behind the man, right? Yes. Because <laughs> again, he gets the credit, but she did a lot of the legwork. She was um his she was his uh, top female investigator. There were other female investigators that worked with her, including Houdini's, um, one of Houdini's relatives, his niece, I believe, Julia Sawyer, um, actually uh, worked with Rose Mackenberg to expose uh, fake spiritualists, uh, fake mediums. So um, what she would do is Houdini would plan shows in different cities and so she would go out ahead of Houdini uh like about a week or so ahead and then she'd dress in disguise making herself look like a shut eye as they were called in the uh by the psychic mafia the shut eye was a a gullible individual an easy mark and Mm -hmm. so what what she did is she would dress as 
you know, a widow or uh, some of her disguises, let's see, the smartly garbed widow, the rustic school teacher, the small town matron. So she had all, she was this master of disguise and she had all these different personas. Um, we need she, those pictures. It, it's a shame yeah, that we know, aren't able to show the slides. because they, they are fantastic. They, they are, are beautiful. Fantastic. We'd have to include them in the show notes or yes, somewhere. included <laughs> pictures in a series of articles uh, that she, a, a series of syndicated articles that she would write for newspapers. And I actually found that uh, that information, along, I think, with an unpublished, uh, parts of an unpublished manuscript uh, by Rose Mackenberg are now available. I did not know that. Uh, really? So, so there, there is a book um, that you can get about she all also, her adventures. She has wears Waldo's glasses. Oh she, my God. She, I mean, she she's got these perfectly round they're, spectacles. They're all, all the rage, then, yeah. They, they're really so cool true. looking. Yeah. Like the small town matron is yeah. definitely I love her wearing, disguises. Those, <laughs> wearing those glasses, right? And um, so, what a great what, job! Yeah. So what she would do is she would gather intelligence on these fake mediums. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and she would do things like, you know, she would uh, pay them a little bit to you know, contact like her dead husband, for example. And uh, so that they, they would contact uh, her dead husband, supposedly. And then they'd say, you know, they'd give like a quick, like dismissive message. And then they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, he's gone. And um, one of her quotes is, oh, no, well, what am I going to do with that $3,000? like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I can get him back. And and Uh, then they would try to involve her in a scam, um, if not paying them directly, investing in some fake corporation. And then she she would take that uh, 
that information to insurance companies. She also worked for families, in addition to working for Houdini. And so then after she accumulated all this information for uh, Houdini over the week of being in that city, when he would come to town, she would join him on stage and they would debunk the local mediums. But that's how he he did that because she gathered the information for him. Fantastic. And I also want to talk about uh, somebody who isn't well known um, named Zora Neale Hurston. Um, She was an African-American folklorist, anthropologist, writer, and uh, she she was born in 1891 and died in 1960. And again, not a great time for women, especially African-American women. But she sometimes she somehow smashed through those barriers and was able to um, go to the Deep South, for example, and embed herself in hoodoo culture and learn all about the spells and the beliefs of of that magical system, which she believed was actually a a fully formed religion. And then later on, she would get a grant to live in Jamaica and then later in Haiti and to learn about voodoo culture in the Caribbean. And she wrote a great book uh, about voodoo culture called Tell My Horse, uh, Voodoo and Life in Haiti and Jamaica. Now, uh, this book um, came out in the 30s, I believe. And uh, in the book, she talks about her experiences with zombies. Now, again, when you think of zombies, you think of maybe Wade Wade Davis, the serpent in the rainbow. Or you don't think of an African-American woman going to Haiti, becoming a practitioner, and actually learning about the religion from the inside. And experiencing meeting um, people who were were victims of zombification. Now, she did not believe that zombies were individuals that were raised from the dead. She believed it was drug-induced, which, again, is Mm -hmm. something that that Wade Davis is famous for, but she was talking about it in the 1930s. Uh, So uh, she uh, actually uh, claimed to to meet and uh, substantiate at least one um, one uh, zombie uh, who was a woman who died in um, 1907, and she was uh, she came to light in in, in 1936. So wow, that's mm-hmm. a long time to be away from your family. But she interviewed this woman, took pictures of this woman for her book. And um, she was able to uh, talk to the Haitian government. They verified that um, she was the same woman. And uh, the family verified that she was the the same woman. Um, But again, that's okay because she she wasn't really dead. (laughs) That's what (laughs) Zora Zora believes she wasn't really dead. That, you know, she was, um, there was some drugging, there was some drugging going on that, that uh, create zombies. And she talked about, you know, the beliefs of, you know, how to keep a zombie going. And, and there was, there were worries among uh, the slave owners who, who, um, who would use the the zombies in the fields, for example, uh, that there were things like they didn't give them salt because they thought that would start bringing the memories back. 
so she did a lot of amazing work on zombies at the time. And does anybody even remember that? <laughs> uh, they don't. They think of Jay Davis and Serpent, of the, and the, Serpent in the Rainbow. No, sure. but I, I look forward sure. to I want to track that down. That looks really interesting. Yes, yeah. I, I want to add too that zombie is I think either a like a snake god or a, a spirit in voodoo as well. So it can get well, a bit confusing too, talking about different kinds of zombies. Yes. So uh, yes, there is there is a, a serpent and the rainbow in um Haitian voodoo. Um but, you know, I don't think the, the actual Loas, as they're known, and, you know, the, the main gods are, are really part of zombification. It, it's more of a social construction. It's something that, that was used to, to attack people and to, um, to get rid of them or to make them your slave. I don't, it's not, I mean, it's kind of sad that it's associated with the religion so much because, um, you know, th there's practitioners of the, uh, I, I would say probably most of the practitioners of the religion are, are really good people who, who um, have a, a moral foundation. They're not interested in, in uh, doing what a bokur might do. Uh, I think it's most, mostly white magic and not. That's right. That's magic. right. And, but. Anyway, read that book, Tell My Horse. Uh, there's a lot of great books out there. And I think the point of what I'm trying to do, and I'm doing it for myself, too. I mean, I just found out about uh, Zora Neale Hurston, and I just started the book. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's an education for me, too, because, uh, you know, watching paranormal TV, uh, listening to podcasts, you don't usually hear about these people or the history of paranormal investigation. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, now is a great time to investigate these people that have been largely forgotten because a lot of the paranormal conferences, a lot of all the conferences in the world have been canceled. But, you know, this is a time <laughs> during summer when we usually go to paranormal conferences and you can't do that. But you can still reach out and you know read a lot of these books, either for free or for a very low cost. Mm -hmm. This is a really interesting topic. And why do you think that the paranormal has been and has become such a man's world well i think maybe that has to do with uh television uh because in uh, parapsychology for example you find that there are a lot of women involved in parapsychology but when you um when you get a tv show for example you, you know you're not going to see a parapsychology study you're going to see a bunch of uh tough guys usually uh going into a haunted house uh, and, you know, trying to go mano a mano with uh, the big bad. Uh, and that's just because of the way TV works. So what I, I guess uh, producers think that that's what people are interested in. And I, I hope that's not true. I mean, certainly that's not what I'm interested in. But I think it's been skewed. I, what The reality in the paranormal field has been skewed um, by um, TV. And that's a disservice because there are, I think, a lot more female investigators than there are male investigators even today. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I, when you actually go to local ghost groups, I, I see a lot of women represented a lot of times in leadership positions, mm -hmm. yeah. but not on TV. Yeah. 
But yeah, yeah, yeah I think on TV is not reflective of reality. They call it reality yeah. TV. It couldn't be any further from the truth. Sorry, go ahead, Karen. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say that the roles that females, that women play on those shows are pretty pathetic. Just someone who's, you know, in the background screaming and um, right, you know, usually and, sexy characters, that kind of and, thing. They're really, really minimized. And and, and, and here, here's the thing about, um, you know, what you see in the media, um, especially there are roles that um, as a society, uh, we are okay with giving women like you could be a poltergeist agent uh you could be a medium you could be a psychic you could be an evil ghost yourself but it's very seldom that you see any actual investigators and if you mm -hmm. do on those tv shows they're usually very young and nubile they're not like Catherine crow who is out there when she's 50 years old um naked well, like, we don't know about that. That I think that was an attempt to discredit her. Oh no, she absolutely, naked. yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Today, nobody would care, but back then it was a big deal uh, to try to yeah. discredit her. Um, she did come forward. I, I didn't finish that story. She did come forward and say, you know, look, I did have gastric difficulties. I was sick, but um, you know, the story is completely apocryphal. But like a good story, everybody loves a good story. They're not going to. They're not going to let you shut it down just because it's not true. Although it is a great version of the Lady Ghost Diva story. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, she she um, she hotly denied um, that that any of that was was the least bit true. And just people being I mean, do people actually get naked in Edinburgh? I don't know. It's like, it seems too cold. It's like. I mean, well, yeah, that's the thing. It was exactly. That's why it seems like a really ridiculous thing. So it was February. So yeah. it probably did not happen. But it yeah. was a convenient way to Not the insane problem. Maybe the more great story. You know, yeah, so, yeah, right. Right. And, and it's hard to kill a good story. Nobody cares about the, the more banal truth. Um, yeah. And uh, there's so there's so many more women I could talk about, but I don't know how we're doing on time. We're doing well. I mean, we we started ten minutes late. Oh, okay. So I'm, I I feel like if we go another fifteen minutes, we'll be fine. Okay, that sounds good. So I yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Alexandra David Neal. Um, she was another woman who was just incredible because uh, nobody told her that you know sexism was on in in the 1860s when she was born. You know nobody nobody held her down because by the time she was 16, she was already running away from home, exploring different parts of Europe. She was Belgian by the way, but you know, that didn't stop her from just going Pump all Fritz. over. Okay, sorry. Because, was like... <laughs> she, yeah, she just went everywhere. Um, you could not keep her down. And, um, and then um, when she was 21, she actually slipped away to India. So like she, you do. She made things possible, uh, even yeah. though this was a very difficult time for women. Um, she she also uh, you know started her uh, career as an opera singer, so that gave her some oh. ability to travel. Um, and then in midlife, she she would finally get married and settle down. And uh, then her husband is like, "Oh, I know you have this this wanderlust, so I'm going to send you on a trip to get you out of." 
get it out of your system. And, and he thought maybe she, she'd be gone to Asia for maybe a year. And she came back 14 years later. So, wow. <laughs> So um, I hope she didn't take the credit card. <laughs> <laughs> so she, they were still together. Yeah, still married. Yeah, they were still married after 14 years. She went home. So uh, yeah, kind of an unusual relationship there. But she uh, went to Asia and um, lived in Bhutan and Nepal and um, all these different countries in Asia. She was fascinated by Buddhism. And she wanted to learn everything she could. And she wanted to get into places where Westerners couldn't go. So um, in one of her, at one of her retreats, she, uh, she adopted a 14-year-old boy. And he decided to go with her. There's nothing untoward here. Um, but he helped her uh, disguise herself because um, he, was, he would take on the role of a young llama and she was supposed to be his the age. religious leader, not the uh, right, right. camel. Not, right, got it. Right. Not the quadruped. <laughs> uh, <laughs> although that might have been nice because they they were caught in Himalayan snowstorms and nearly died. Uh, but anyway, um, a, a llama would have been a, a lot warmer than a llama. So um, her her friend would disguise himself as a young llama and she would disguise herself as his aging mother. And she dyed her, her hair with, um, with black uh, Chinese ink. And she would take soot from the bottom of the, the pot and disguise her skin color. And somehow doing that in 1924, they broke into the city of Lhasa in Tibet, which was forbidden to wet Westerners. And she still was able to get in there. And she was also able to forge relationships with monks at many different monasteries. And they told, they taught her a lot of their ancient secrets. Like, uh, for example, Tumo, um, which is the ability to uh, control your body heat, which, you know, seemed like a, a supernatural ability. But now we know today with, with uh, Wim Hof that it, it does seem that there is some scientific backing behind that because he is teaching Tumo to everyone now. But uh, so she was the first one to identify Tumo and talk, and talk um, uh, widely about uh, levitation, but she also would bring the concept of the tulpa back to Westerners, which uh, the tulpa is that thought form creature that uh, Buddhist monks um, thought that, you know, with certain powers of mind, you could create this mental form that would show itself in real life in 3D space. And so she tried her hand at that and uh, she was able to uh, produce a uh, a jolly like Friar Tuck type character and so she would see him every once in a while but uh, over time supposedly he developed this mean streak and then of course she had to destroy him so <laughs> so she talks about all of these um, different uh, adventures that she had you know some on the very paranormal side and some just uh, having to do with um, relations between uh, Westerners and Eastern thought. Uh, but uh, she was an extraordinary woman to be able to do that at that time and bring all this knowledge back. And uh, she, she has 30, about 30 books 
but uh, her most well-known are Magic and Mystery in Tibet and My Journey to Lhasa. So uh, those are two books that people might want to check out. Um, I also was we did talk about her. We talked about her with with Joe Nickel and Natasha Michaels about uh, the sort of the story of the Tulpa and how it got changed. She but she has a giant footprint uh, in the paranormal world, even though her name's not well known. I think, but the idea of Tulpas has become really explosively popular since really the mid nineties, maybe late nineties. Yeah. And, and people don't realize that again, just like with Catherine Crow and the, the words poltergeist and doppelganger, yeah. they, they don't realize where this came from and mm-hmm. you know, that, that this does go back in history and they don't go back and read the, the original documents and mm-hmm. they're exciting reads. So I would encourage everyone to do that. And I would encourage everybody, uh, there are a couple of women uh, right now in parapsychology that are are prominent, and they also offer a chance for people to study parapsychology at home, which is another great thing because, you know, who knows with COVID, uh, you know, whether we would be able to go to classes, but uh, these two women offer um, video conferencing classes. Uh, one of them is in Edinburgh. Uh, Carolyn Watt is the head of the parapsychology unit there. And every uh, spring and fall, uh, she offers a, a class in parapsychology. And she has, you know, all the big speakers, you know, on both sides of the fence, uh, talk to students, and she's written a couple of textbooks. Uh, one of the textbooks uh, you use in the class, but this one is not cheap. It's about it's four hundred pounds. Uh, but I'm I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm saving up for uh, September. Um, maybe I'll see you in the class. Uh, but there is a free one that um, I think more people should know about. Um, every year in uh, January and February, uh, D- Dr. Nancy Zangroni of the Rhine Research Center uh, has something called Paramook. And MOOC is just an educational term. It means a massively open online course. And uh, again, this is video conferencing with presenters, with researchers in the field who deliver a lecture. And it's, it's very much like college. It is very academic. But I love it because uh, you get to log on, you get to um, see this person present, and then you get to ask them questions um, and also chat with people from around the world that are taking the class. And she's offered these classes uh, every January and February for about a decade now. And I want more people to know about it because it's absolutely free and you get a good understanding, you get your foot in the door as as far as some of this parapsychology research and people aren't taking advantage of that, even though it's free. Um, so I think that's really sad that when I log in, I don't see like 300 people. I see like 20. So um, that, that's another opportunity that people might want to think about uh, for the future for um, this uh, next January and February. Well, you know, it's funny because I think maybe for a lot of reasons, you find that people are really interested in learning about the paranormal at the TV level, yeah. like a TV show, but mm-hmm. actually wanting to look back at the history of the field and see what's actually happened over the past 150 years. Um, 
is it's too much like school, too much like work. And they like they, they miss out and they don't understand. And they're treading over ground that's already been thoroughly tread and all kinds of yeah. things are happening Bring because they don't have a sense wheel. of history. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think without knowing our history, how can we go forward? Absolutely. And I want to add uh, too that a lot of our uh, viewers and listeners might know Carolyn Watts's, I think, I'm not sure if they're married or if they're, if, uh, He's her uh, common law husband, but um, she's she lives with uh, Richard Wiseman. So really? Okay. I think yeah, oh, he's the kind of... I did not know that. that <laughs> wow. I, I don't know if that's still the case or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so thinkers, they're, um, they're an interesting couple. couple. <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> because she's the chair of the department, so he's oh. got it in there. I'm thinking yeah. of a joke about his book, 59 Seconds, and I'm just going to keep it to myself. Oh, no. <laughs> too late. <laughs> More eye rolls. It was uh, too late. We, we love Richard and wish he'd come back on the show. So, so yeah, yeah, we'll have to have him back on so, again. But it sounds but, like we uh, might want to talk to his wife or if wife yes, or partner. I'm not really sure. Common law wife. Yeah. yeah partner, de facto. Maybe, maybe you could talk to her before the September class because it, it's coming up September 2020 where they offer. Yeah. Uh, another parapsychology class through University of Edinburgh. Cool. Definitely. And uh, I don't know if you want to get into this, but uh, Blake and I have talked a little bit in the past and certainly been subjected to uh, some some issues with sexism and harassment in skepticism. And yeah. uh, I know that there's a lot of that going on within the paranormal community as well. Do you want to make any comments about that or would you rather leave it? Uh, well, I, I think... I think um, what I've experienced of late, and and actually I experienced it two years ago when I w- was on Monster Quest last as well, you know, from the, the same people. Um, I, I think it's very telling if people cannot uh, cannot deal with you um, on the with the details or on the issues. Um, they they very often resort to ad hominem attacks and and so that that's what i've been experiencing and you know uh these people that uh have been um very vocal uh publicly and privately trying to disparage me because i ask questions and i'm not shy about it um they were revealed um and some of their comments seemed misogynistic and i think the distinction is um, although they they do bully others, um, the men uh, that the, the researchers that I work with who have been bullied by them um, are mainly just been called names, you know, like the A word and so forth. Um, and uh, in my case, uh, what co- keeps coming up in the comments. Uh, between these gentlemen is that they'd like to slap me or the latest comment was they want to give me a bath in the Ohio River, which is especially um, especially crass because of all the the people that, that lost loved ones in the Silver Bridge disaster um, of December 15, 1967 um, in the Ohio River. So... Um, I think the distinction, you know, because people are like, well, why is it misogynist? I think I would rather if they just called me a name rather than saying something violent about me. 
Uh, that's the that's the scary part. That's the distinction that I'm seeing with with the the other people that they disagree with. They call them every name in the book, but they don't say anything threatening. Um, right. Where I am involved, they say threatening things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can totally see that, and I think uh, absolutely, if they were dealing with men instead, they'd be saying very different things. They wouldn't be um, traversing that kind of territory. Yes. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have much to say about this. I, <laughs> I, yeah, it's horrible, I, uh, yeah, but, but it's, I've, it's, 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 I've never had to experience. I mean, obviously, aside from all the people who want me for my body, I've never had to deal with any of this. <laughs> so, yes, yes. I, now that I think about it, I've never had to deal with any of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. I, I think it's another one of those common ground things where it's a, it's yeah. a problem within skepticism and it's a problem within the paranormal mo- movement. And uh, we're just glad that you're doing all of the, the excellent research that you're yeah. doing. Yeah, and, and the investigation and you've got to keep it up and just as much as you can ignore these people or, or right. just, just call like them Eleanor, out. Eleanor Sedgwick said, you know, it's not that I'm saying I don't believe or I'm trying to debunk because I think it's not possible. Um, I'm, I'm trying to sell, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. And I think that's what any good investigator does, no matter your personal beliefs. And if sure. somebody disagrees with my findings that's perfectly fine but let's keep it to that let's let's uh, keep it to the issues and talk about that not talk about assaulting each other or uh yeah. or even call names i i don't think that's absolutely that's not part of discourse not professional able, yeah we should be able to talk about our differences in a civil manner and mm-hmm. um you know, once they're willing to do that hey i'd be glad to debate yeah. Yeah. The show. <laughs> well, I want to say thanks for bringing these people to the attention of our listeners and, and viewers. And um, yeah, some really interesting characters. And um, yeah, I just think we should end. So we always end our show um, when we do our regular shows by asking, uh, what's your favorite monster? But I think we'll give you an opportunity to talk about one more women, woman if you'd like to. Um, but who do you think is your favorite woman in the paranormal? Uh, well, I'd have to say it was Catherine Crow because she did so many amazing things in terms of a first, you know, the first uh, modern detective story, um, the first one to use uh, poltergeist in uh, English language usage. And, you know, she, she was first and many other things that aren't named in the night side of nature. So uh, I'd have to say it's Catherine Crow. And also, even though she was unjustly maligned, you know, she kept on writing and, and did some amazing work. She even did a, a, a children's edition of Uncle Tom's Cabin. So she was a very modern woman, uh, you know, even though she was born um, into the upper class in, in England, she, she did think more uh, about uh, the, the people at large than, you know, just just her uh, privileged circle. So I, that's why I, I would have to say uh, Catherine Crow. And, and she also uh, she also represents my favorite monster, which is the poltergeist, because uh, they manifest in so many uh, just nonsensical ways that you can't believe that people would make up. I mean, it's possible that they, they maybe could, but um, it, it's a it's a high strangeness um, type mm-hmm. of monster that you know sometimes doesn't even make sense, uh, but yet people report 
experiencing these very strange manifestations. So I would say Catherine Krull and Poltergeist. Certainly the the kind of ghost I'd love to explore. That's if I could ever get onto a live hot poltergeist case, that would be like the best one. I know, right? There's so many ways they manifest too. Like there could be a fire starter or you know, it could rain inside. (laughs) Or um yes, there could be a rain of I read about one poltergeist case and kind of crosses over into possession too where um one of the the priests that was uh examining this young girl um he went home and he was trying to eat breakfast and uh, a a shower of of rain of uh, a rain of worms came down uh into his breakfast cereal um and so i just like that's spectacular. Yeah, I like to see that. Yeah. We, we used and to have beetles in our cereal in the Navy, but that was just bad yeah. cereal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, remember, you thank can you so support much. the show. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, keep keep on doing everything that you're doing. Thank Absolutely. you, Absolutely. And we'll put, uh, I'd like to put maybe some of the images uh, into the show notes yeah. for when we put this yeah. out. And um that's, oh, and you can find us. Uh, don't forget, uh, please subscribe. Uh, that really helps us a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to support the show, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. Oh, and Allison, yeah, like our videos people, as well. Yeah, where can people find you, Allison? Oh, uh, well, they can look at my YouTube channel. How about that? YouTube.com slash Mothman. But it's not just Mothman. Uh, of course, I have my my videos up there of all the Mothman sighting locations in Chicagoland of 2011 and 2017, some 60 videos. But uh, also look in the playlist because I have haunted road trips uh, where I just uh stayed at haunted places and skulk around the hallways and get staff to talk to me um so there's some interesting stuff there as well as um paranormal interviews i get bored i just like call up uh people like uh magnus um the the headmaster of the elf school in reykjavik uh iceland and i did a whole skype interview with him (laughs) So um, there's a lot of interviews up there that I think people would really like as well. Fantastic. All right. All right. uh, I'll say goodnight to everybody. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Monster Talk. You've been listening to a podcast version of Monster Talk Live, a special feature that we recorded during 2020. Links to the video version of these episodes are in the show notes. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll work to continue to provide good content there, including more streaming events in the future. Monster Talk is a listener-supported program, and your subscription at patreon.com forward slash monster talk sustains us during these difficult times. Thank you for your support and for your positive reviews. I'm Blake Smith, and along with my co-host Karen Stolzno, we ask you to join us in being the voice of reason and science in a world that's perilous with nonsense, superstition, and dangerous misinformation. Shine your lights, everyone. Even a flickering candle can be seen for miles in the darkness. And together, we are stronger. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening.